Collier's Boys Grammar School in Horsham, Sussex, where my widowed grandmother was cook. I always understood that this represented some kind of fall from grace, that I wasn't to look on myself as the grandchild of a school cook any more than she ever considered herself to be a school cook, even though she finally held the post for over twenty years. My grandmother was plump and petite. With her white hair and powdered face, she was sweet and light as a meringue dipped in icing sugar. I liked every so often to pat her cheeks and then to lick the powder off my fingers, murmuring exaggeratedly, Mmm, delicious. My aunt was the same shape as her mother, small and round, with ginger hair and freckles. She had an easy way with practical affairs. She would lie down on the lawn hour after hour reading instead of tidying up and she stopped the holes in the soles of her shoes with pieces of cardboard cut out of players' cigarette packets. This is Stitchwort, she used to say as we went along the tangled path to the chicken run. Here's Jack go to bed at noon, and milkmaid. The chicken run opened on one side into an elderly orchard, grey with lichen. Dodging under the barbed wire fence one day, I sliced my cheek open and narrowly missed spearing my right eye. There was a certain amount of friction between my mother and my aunt on these matters. My aunt believed not so much in scars but in risk. My mother was indifferent to risk, but wanted me unblemished. I was her creation, perfect, and the rituals of everyday life, my washing, dressing and feeding, were, as she perceived them, not unlike holy rituals. We were mother and child, age-old icons, timeless, impersonal almost. My sweet ration was given away, presumably to children whose teeth didn't matter. A lot was expected of me. I had to be worthy of my privileges, such as the red coat bought at great expense and tailored in the same style as the coats of the little royal Princess Margaret, in whose honour I was named. I was pleased with the coat, and even more pleased with my three-year-old self in it but it made the schoolboys yell tally-ho and gallop up and down the playground, spluttering with beastly laughter. No wonder my aunt sometimes felt sorry for me. It was a relief to accompany her along the muddy path to the chicken run, fighting my way through the brambles in her wake, close up against her generous rump, watching her sturdy white legs thrust into short black gumboots flash left, right, left, right. This is catmint, she would say, bruising a leaf between finger and thumb. Speed well. And with a laugh, here's piss on Lee. Don't chew that or you'll wet the bed. At night, my mother put on a trench coat and walked the streets fire-watching. She had a torch and a whistle to summon the help of men with water hoses. But I pictured her swallowing the fire. I saw her throw back her head and open her mouth wide to swallow the flames which was why fire sometimes came back out of her mouth, fire and spittle and angry words. At night the streets were dark and empty, but my mother wasn't afraid. Not even when searchlights picked out heavy-bellied aeroplanes in the sky and distant guns began to fire. There were no men in our lives. Sometimes I heard the insubstantial voices of male announcers on the radio and I had a teddy bear, made so I'd been told from the fleecy lining of my long-dead paternal grandfather's raincoat. But on the highly polished sideboard in my grandmother's sitting room, between the tin of macaroons and the empty sherry decanter, 
stood the photograph of a beatifically good-looking young man, and I was told this was my father and that he was away fighting in the war. I very much enjoyed being given his photo to look at. Nana would buff the glass with her sleeve and, stooping, put it reverently into my hands. She reserved a special smile for this ritual, similar, I thought, to the smile with which I looked at my tea-time egg before bashing it on the head and eating it. The young man wore a soldier's uniform and looked at me benignly, and because I was his daughter, his eyes followed me all round the room when I moved. Looking at him, being looked at by him, was quickly unsatisfying. Much later on, I realised the photograph had been heavily touched up, a process that romanticised and stereotyped his face. One memory, poignant above all others, from the time before everything changed.